Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, We are still coming to you on Monday, June 28th, recording this a little early so we can have a little 4th of July holiday off. This is our second episode in a row that we're recording, which that is my disclaimer because it always gets a little goofy in hour two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's perfect time then. We should kick it right off with uh, Monday Jokes with Nia. Let's do it. What's the difference between a poorly dressed man on a unicycle and a well-dressed man on a bicycle? A poorly dressed man on a unicycle and a well-dressed man on a bicycle. I don't know. Attire. I almost said that. Uh, And that one comes to us from a listener. Shout out to Justin. Uh, He enjoyed the first bike tire pun joke and sent that one in. So I felt like we had to use it. Damn it. I almost said it. <laughs> I need to believe in myself more that I that I know the answer. <laughs> the answer to the punny joke. Absolutely. Um, so what are your plans for the 4th of July? Well, that is a good question. Um, and as of right now, very up in the air based on the weather. Um, for those of you outside of Colorado, we're having an unusually cold spell right now. So... Um, Pre-pandemic, my normal 4th of July tradition uh, is we go up to this lake north of Longmont. And when I say lake, I put that in quotes. It's a reservoir. You can fit like three boats on it before they start bumping into each other. Um, And we bring lunch and dip our toes in and read. And it's so wonderfully relaxing. And I think it might be too cold. Are you serious? Even a week from now, it's still supposed to be cold? Yeah, and... It looks like it might hit like 78 by mid-afternoon. Oh, goodness. Okay. So we are going camping. We do have a trailer. So I'm going to make that clear. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, And yet we are taking my parents with us. And my mom gets super duper cold. And I'm like, Mom, it's the middle of summer. Yes, we'll be in the mountains, but you'll be fine. And now I'm thinking I better pack the electric blanket for her. Good call. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. I'll never hear the end of it if it's freezing the entire time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Get ready then. Um, at least there's potentially going to be fireworks this year. Some places. Yes. There yeah. will be. Are you actually going to have them in the mountains? Um, yeah, where we're headed, they're claiming to have an all-day celebration and then a fireworks display that night. So unless that has changed in the last week. Oh, you might want to check because um, a bunch of fire bands went into place last week. Okay, I'll check. We'll see. Yeah. I'm also hoping for some fireworks. Um, this is kind of interesting. And there's a nonprofit 
angle to it. So uh, here where Brittany and I live in Longmont, the city usually puts on a big old fireworks display. They have some sponsors, but um, the city is the one who runs it, goes out at the fairgrounds. Um, You can see it from, I would say, at least a third to a half of the city, which is kind of cool. This year, though, they're not doing that. And one of their sponsors, the local Kiwanis Club, is hosting a private fireworks show. What does that mean? How is it private? So you can't get into like the primary space. Like for the the big fireworks that the city puts on, you can actually go to the fairgrounds if you want. Right, right. They're doing this at a country club. You can't get in. But they've recommended three different parking lots you could go to to watch them. I'm so out of the loop. Um, I love, as we talk about all the time, all things Americana – and there is nothing I love more. There is. I actually love pumpkin patches the most. But I love taking my kids in a wagon and walking two blocks down to the golf course and setting up blankets and chairs and having glow sticks and sneaking beers and watching the fireworks display. Mm-hmm. And it's like community at its best and everybody's there and all the kids are playing and it's so much fun. So we're not going to be in town. So I wasn't planning on that. And I didn't realize that they had changed the plan. So they're privatizing fireworks now. Exactly. Wow. Even more American. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I will say I'm not a huge fireworks fan. Um, and I think that is partially because I don't have kids. Um, yeah. my cats hate them. They're loud and scary. Um, so they're not like my jam to go to, but I do have a friend with a child who is interested in going this year. So I think we're going to brave it. Hopefully the high school near my house is actually a good spot. That's the other thing. You change the location. I don't know. It's a good spot to watch them from anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll report back. Yeah, good luck. I can't wait to hear. (laughs) So what are we talking about today? Uh, This is so fun, folks, because not only does Brittany not know what we're talking about today, she has never known because we haven't even discussed this as a topic. Is it about me? (laughs) (laughs) Today, Brittany, we are doing your annual podcast review. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. No, today we are talking about the ACE Act. I know nothing about it. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. Would that be awesome if I was like, oh, yeah, all right. And I could spout off a bunch of facts it about it. It would be amazing and nothing I would ever expect. <laughs> nope. Um, okay, so we are still waiting for SCOTUS to come down with our decision on donor privacy. I was hoping yep. this episode would be about that. As of today, June 28th, they have not released that decision. So. It, it's like one. Didn't What did you say? It's like one of three. One of five. That they haven't. Oh I'm so fucking annoyed. Really holding us in suspense yeah. over here, people. So instead, I thought I would talk about this, which I was waiting to talk about um, until it got further along. But I think it's still relevant. The ACE Act. ACE? ACE. Um, because, you know, all really important legislation needs to have like some catchy title title stands for the accelerating charitable efforts act 
Okay. It has been introduced into the Senate. It's Senate Bill 1981. So it's part of this current Senate year. And guess what it's attempting to do? Accelerating charitable efforts? Mm-hmm. Is it to try to give more benefits for people who donate? It's attempting to regulate donor-advised funds. No way. Yes way. So uh, this is a really interesting thing. The, um, the law itself would do a number of things to donor-advised funds. And we don't need to get super wonky into the details of like it creating a 15 and a 50-year DAF and what those would be and why. Um, but more than anything, I think it's interesting both what the act would do like big number wise and who's coming out against it already. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet we could guess that. I think there'll be some surprises. Part of what this would do would include uh, payout requirements. So we've talked about this before. Right now, DAFs can just sit dormant forever, theoretically, and many of them do. This would require DAFs to have a 5% annual payout rate. Like a minimum, yes. right? All right. So that that's amazing, right? We've been talking about that. That would match the foundation payout rate, 5%. Um, it would also provide some differences between commercial DAFs and community foundation DAFs. So okay. um, it would actually kind of provide a benefit to those that are um, in community foundations. So instead of the Schwabs of the world – Community foundations get a little bit extra room on that 5%, which I don't entirely agree with, but I'd rather have a benefit for them than any of the commercial ones, of course. Right now, so the the two senators that came up with this keep talking about warehousing wealth. Right now, they say there is $140 billion sitting in DAFs. And it, it's mind-blowing. It really is. And I feel like it's something that very few people realize mm-hmm. and know is happening. Right. So if if we just apply that 5% to the $140 billion, that's $7 billion going into nonprofits every year. Yeah. That is really amazing. You know, we don't have an overall um, DAF figure right now of like how much money is going out. We see these little snippets here and there of like Schwab, $16 million was given and uh, Michigan related DAFs had this many million. No matter what, I don't think we're touching 7 billion right now. Right. So that would be a significant increase and really push some real, real dollars into organizations. Um, the There are definitely, you know, the the folks pushing it who have continued to say, like, this is our entry point. This is our, like, basement level negotiation. It should be much higher, but 5% at least provides parity to foundations. Well, and for those haters out there who um, can't stand that we attempt to tell rich people how to spend their money. The one hater, let's be clear. Well, I'm sure there's others. Um... They just haven't taken the time to write a letter. Um, <laughs> what this is saying, though, is people have already earmarked this money mm-hmm. for philanthropy. Yeah. 
So they've taken this money, they've put it into a donor advised fund. They have said, we are going to spend this money on charity, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they haven't done it. Right. So they got the tax break for it. They locked up the money in a DAF and then they just haven't dispersed it. So this is essentially just telling people that they have to disperse at least 5% of that sum every year. Right. Exactly. And I, do what you say you're going to do. Do Use the money for what you say you're going to use the money for. Mm-hmm. And if if you're sitting with this episode right now and you're like, what what the fuck? Like, I don't understand. We did a deep dive just on DAFs. So go back and listen to that. We give a bunch of stats and data that I don't want to bore long-term listeners with because it, it's all there and we give some great context for why a law like this is important. So... You want to hear who's for and against it? Sure. Okay, so some real nonprofit leaders and foundations have actually come out in support. So uh, Patriotic Millionaires, which I just love that that whole concept right there. Adorable. Um, Arnold Ventures, which is John Arnold, which, you know, I have to give him a little props because I very publicly flogged him for his philanthropy. Um, and then we've got the Institute for Policy Studies, Global Citizen, some other like think tanky groups. But then we've also had some foundations come out and support. They include Ford, Hewlett, High Tide, Kresge, Tomcat, Kellogg, right? Some big names in the foundation world. Good for them. And they're saying we have to have tax reforms so that we can actually f- get these billions of dollars into nonprofits. That said... There are plenty who don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, the Council on Foundations. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they specifically say, and this um, is from an article that, of course, I will include in the show notes. Um, the new requirements would negatively impact the philanthropic sector. How? I know. If the bill were to advance, yada, yada, yada. They said, we expect a big pitched battle over it. Oh, please. How? How? Like, that is legitimately my exact first question, too. How is this going to impact the philanthropic sector besides making it more impactful? Right. What they're, are they trying to say then people would be less likely to contribute to their DAFs? I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Um, the other group that had a more significant quote in this article is the Community Foundation Public Awareness Initiative. So their whole purpose is like raising um, awareness for community foundations and their role. Um, They said, first off, which is what we hear all the time, you know, payout rates for community foundations and DAFs are routinely three to four times higher than that. Okay, cool. There are some that are doing well. That's awesome. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have a standard for the rest. And then they say, we are pleased that some of the critics of DAFs, including those behind this act, have come to recognize the unique value and status of community foundations. 
because of that like split between how they'd be enforced. Mm-hmm. Pat on the head. Mm-hmm. Accordingly, they have proposed special rules for some community foundation DAFs that, on the surface, appear to make sense. However, community foundations didn't ask the initiative to include a carve-out, and we worry it could negatively impact our valuable partnership with local charities and other philanthropies. Like many of the other provisions in the proposal, we fear the unintended consequences of the carve-out would outweigh any potential benefits. First of all, is that how people at community foundations, how they sound? (laughs) Did I put on a voice? I didn't realize. (laughs) You 100% put on a voice. It was amazing. (laughs) It was really amazing. It's a hoity-toity voice. You know that high school theater really come into play right now. So they're saying that there's going to be unintended consequences because they are getting a special carve out. Mm -hmm. The best part is they don't cite what those are. And I I went to both websites trying to find like a statement, something specifically addressing this. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So all I can take are like the quotes that were in these articles. But didn't you say community foundations would actually get a benefit? So so all of these other commercial DAFs would have to be at least 5%, but at a community foundation, it could potentially be lower? It's 5% after a million dollars. Okay. So that's the carve out they're talking about. They get like a oh, little okay. extra bump, I guess, in assets that they can manage without having to worry about that piece. But somehow that's going to hurt the relationship for, with nonprofits? Well, that's what I want I don't, to know. I don't understand. If you're worried about it hurting your relationship with nonprofits, distribute more. <laughs> Easy solution. <laughs> Not that hard. No. Not that hard. I, you know, what really like clued me into the fact that there was a debate around this was that the Chronicle on Philanthropy, do you get the Chronicle? Uh, I, sure. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, they've run some opinion pieces that I've thought they should not have, that like the editorial staff should have gotten rid of. Um, but I, I always appreciate, you know, a little bit on both sides. Um, so they have the CEO of, I think it is, yes, the Council of Michigan Foundations. Um, and this is not Michigan centric because I'm from Michigan. There's just more content for some reason coming out of Michigan mm-hmm. about this. Sure, sure. I'm yeah. just saying I'm not hearing from the Ohio Council on Foundations. <laughs> um, and he he says the model that exists right now is working and cites this um, this data that was just released. The Charles Stewart Mott Foundation, Community Foundation of Greater Flint, provided support to begin repairs on the Flint water system, established long-term relief. We did all these great things. Um, they found in a study that their three-year mandate to disperse 10% of assets to lower endowments would do great things. Um, and then they say that basically foundations will start to treat that 5% as a ceiling, not a floor. Oh. But then goes on to say that that data isn't there. Most Michigan foundations disperse 6% or more of their assets every year. I'm like, first off, you're conflating the two issues. 
So this act is specifically around DAFs. Yes, DAFs can be held at community foundations, and they can also not be. And why would you hold up philanthropic progress? Because you're doing fine enough already. So I feel like this this is going to be a really dumb comparison, but I'm going to say it anyways. It reminds me of this event that I'm trying to plan that's a dinner for major donors. And the question is, do you just go ahead and set a minimum donation requirement? Mm -hmm. Like, a.k.a. a ticket price or something like that. Or do you just not require any cost for it, but say there'll be an ask and you might get way more than that like you know with donors sometimes it's like well we don't want to give them a number because they might have given twice as much of that Mm -hmm. but then you just gave them a number even though you're saying at least this amount but now they're just only going to give that amount so is that kind of the what they're trying to say is now that you're telling them they have to do five percent well they would have done ten percent but now that you said five percent they're only going to do five percent Yeah. Well, and he's saying that, like, for foundations, they're already giving more. So why add any additional regulation? Right. Um, I also think that this is it's that classic thing that we talked to Vu about, that foundations are in this mindset of existing in perpetuity and anything that could potentially challenge that is scary. Forgetting the fact that you're not actually solving anything right now. Right. Like at the whole rainy day fund concept. Well, we've got to save up for when it's really bad. Yeah. And you're like, well, it's really bad right now. Yeah. And what the hell are you doing about it? And what's funny is he cites some of the same foundations that are actually in support of this. So he says, Michigan is fortunate to have founders named Kellogg, Kresge, and Mott, who created their foundations to operate in perpetuity or forever. I like that he added that in case we weren't sure what fucking perpetuity meant. The mansplaining. Thank you, dude. This ensured that grants would always be available to support the needs of changing communities and help navigate the boom and bust pattern characteristics of cyclical industries. Um, should we talk about how they made their money? And what they did or did not do with it philanthropically that allows you to still even have endowments to be distributing from. Right, exactly. I mean, like, let's be clear. Kellogg was a fucking cult. Yeah. What? (laughs) Why are we now saying that them and their money living on forever is a good thing? Well, and he's clearly speaking for him and hasn't done his research to see that they're in support of it. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, I just think it's so interesting that these, like, foundation associations, essentially, are stepping into this policy space of trying to protect foundations, some of whom don't need protection, don't want protection. Right. But also with, like, such imprecision. What is going to happen? Right. What is going to happen if we actually start distributing funds the way they should have been historically? I just love that there is this act to begin with, that it's finally come to the attention and come boiled to the top of people's um, awareness that there needs to be some regulation around it. Who are the two senators? Oh, good question. I've got the bill right here. Uh, Senator King and Senator Angus. 
are they from? I don't know. Do you know? Okay, I don't either. They're not ours. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, let me pull them up. Well, good job, Senator King and Senator Angus. Senator Angus King is f- from Maine. Oh. Angus King, Maine. Oh, that's their full name is Angus King? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, Angus and King both sound like they could be first or last names. So uh, that's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, Angus King is the one who um, initially sponsored it and got it in. <laughs> Ooh, that's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's a start. It's a start. Um, I also like the limits piece. So the bill would create two different types of DAF. 50-year DAFs and 15-year DAFs. That 15-year DAF would mean that you you still have some time, right? You've got the... But you got to pay it all out. But you got to pay it out. Years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got, like, 15 years seems more than reasonable to me to figure out how you're going to spend those dollars. But does that mean you can keep contributing to it, but by year 15, everything that you've contributed needs to be out? Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. Well, I know some people might balk at that because they create these DAFs that are supposed to be for multiple generations use Mm -hmm. within families, but then that's where that 50-year comes in. right? Which again, like, okay. So when do we hear about this? So it has been referred to the Finance Committee. Okay. So it could be a long time. It, I have a feeling that uh, it's not going to go too far. Like, yeah. this is the issue that, and I know we've talked about this before. So America is still a plutocracy. Mm-hmm. The people in power, the people in Congress are wealthy Predominantly. I know we have some exceptions that are brewing that have actually gotten positions, but even they are funded by the wealthy. And so laws that seek to address wealth inequities, that seek to regulate wealthy people, don't often go anywhere. Right. So I'm not hopeful that this is going to get passed. Regardless of of, uh, party. Exactly. Totally. I, I don't know that this is going to get passed, um, but I think that it's, I don't know if heartening is the right word, but to see that um, we have two senators stepping up and saying we have allowed DAFs to run wild for too long is is a pretty marked change. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a very specific philanthropic vehicle that doesn't get a lot of attention and coverage except for on this podcast because we talk about how much we fucking hate them all the time. But we're now actually seeing the bigger discourse around it, which is now requiring folks like the Ford Foundation to wade into these waters and have these discussions. And I don't know that like that list of foundations who have come out in support of it, if they were having these conversations internally, if they're now just coming publicly because of this. So even if it doesn't get passed, I'm hoping there's just some larger seed change within mm-hmm. these circles. And I really want to know, like those two foundation groups that have come out in opposition to it, uh, the Community Foundation Public Awareness Initiative and the Council on Foundations, what they're going to do if this doesn't pass. Like how are they going to uphold 
real values with their members around DAFs. Okay, so yes, you don't have a mandate around it necessarily, but there's still moral obligation. Have these conversations. Talk to your members. Talk about distributions and how they can increase them, how they can promote it to their DAF holders because something's got to give. Yeah. Well, there needs to be a plan in place, right, with these DAF holders. And I think so. it's so easy once you've received the benefit, the tax benefit from it, and it's locked away, it's easy just to kind of not make it a priority. If anybody from the Council on Foundations is listening to this, I would love to hear what the negative impact to the philanthropic sector is that you think is going to happen. Maybe we should reach out for a quote. That's a good point. Uh, We are not actually journalists, um, so we have no journalistic integrity to have reached out to anybody (laughs) in advance. But that's a good idea. Um, Do you think they would respond to the nonprofit reframe? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I feel like they they need to need to say something because this is just like it's like hopes and dreams. You can't say that you're worried about something and not actually say what it is when we're talking about legislation, when we're talking about regulation of the philanthropic sector in a way that would actually benefit nonprofits. Yeah. Well, then stay tuned, listeners. We'll reach out and see if we get a response. Fingers crossed. Let's see where it goes. Um, And don't forget to keep monitoring it. I'm sure you all have your own bill trackers at home. So this is Senate Bill 1981, the ACE Act. Check it out. See what's going on. And then let's hear from you. As always, we are constantly trying to get stories from you all because, you know, we have a lot to say, but we're pretty sure you do too. And we'd like to incorporate that. So if you have any thoughts on this, on the ACE Act, if you have any thoughts on DAFs, um, please let us know. Uh, Reach out and tell us your story. And I should say from our recent listener episode, Uh, We've already heard back from a few people who submitted who feel like they are legit celebrities. So you too could have celebrity (laughs) status by emailing us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at Nonprofit Reframe. And don't forget to support your local nonprofits. Please give and give generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.